into another church year. Church year. What are we talking about? On this November the 27th, in the year of our Lord 2017, it's the beginning this coming Sunday of the first Sunday in Advent. I like a calendar year, which goes from January through December. A church year begins often in December with the first Sunday in Advent and runs around all the way to the last Sunday after the Pentecost. Now, this church year in many congregations is a three-year system of readings. The first year, the Gospel of Matthew is looked at. The second year, the Gospel of Mark. The third year, the Gospel of Luke, with the Gospel of John interspersed throughout the year. Now, we're in year B, so this will mean that we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. And for you pastors out there, I would heartily recommend purchasing James Veltz's book on the commentary on the Gospel of Mark. It's got some fabulous things in it. You can hardly read a page without finding two or three sermons. For this first Sunday in Advent, we have readings from Psalm 80, Isaiah 64, 1 Corinthians 1, and then Mark 11 and Mark 13. Uh, you have an option there with the gospel. The Mark 11 passage is talking about the end of the world, Judgment Day. The Mark 13 passage is the Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now you're wondering, isn't that just before Easter? Why do we have it in Advent? The word Advent from the Latin, uh, venera, means to come. And so you're going to hear a lot about the coming of our Lord during Advent. I consider the comings to include not only his coming to earth, having become incarnate in the Bethlehem stable, but then you also have his coming into Jerusalem to be crucified and then rise from the dead. Then you have his coming into your heart at conversion. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that on today's, um, it's not long, gospel, issues, etc. Doing the Sunday school lesson about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so that'll be this afternoon about 3 o'clock, I believe. And then we have his coming after into your heart on the day of judgment. So you have all these comings. What we're going to be looking at today is the epistle reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And in verse 3 he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really important because you hear two characteristics of Christianity here. Number one is grace. Now, what does it mean, grace to you? Grace refers 
to God's undeserved gifts given to you, the undeserving. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that word peace you could spend three hours on. It's the peace the angels speak about to the shepherds. Peace on earth. It's the very first words Jesus says to the apostles hiding in the upper room after the resurrection. Peace be to you. It is not a temporal peace, for we will continue, as Jesus said, to have wars, rumors of wars, the poor with us. In other words, we're living in a fallen world. But the peace is of another world, the spiritual world, the holy Christian church. In other words, our sins of commission and omission set up a wall of hostility between us and God. We were not at peace with God because of our sins. That's where Jesus comes in, who does what we were unable to do for ourselves. He came, broke down that dividing wall of hostility by taking the punishment that we deserved for our sins and he took it upon himself on the accursed tree. What was the worst part of that punishment? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's really what God the Father did to God the Son. It is a mystery to us because we cannot hardly explain that, but we don't need to explain our task as pastors in the church is to reveal and let the Holy Spirit move you to accept that reveal. And that's why we live by faith. Faith is trusting something for which you have no evidence. If you know how Jesus was forsaken by the Father, then you don't need faith. But because there are so many mysteries in the Scripture, and what is a mystery? Here's how I define the word mystery. Uh, a mystery is a teaching of the Bible for which you can have no other kind of analogy. Uh, for, for example, God declares you to be saved not because you improve your works or you merit heaven, but because you believe the promises of the gospel. Tell me an analogy on earth where that works, where your status changes simply by believing something. No, even if you believe something, you probably need to take some action to see if it's true. But in Christianity, for some reason, God declares you to be his child if you believe the message of the gospel. And what is the message of the gospel? The gospel is best defined as the promises of God connected to the historical events of the Bible. 
You can prove all the historical events of the Bible being true. And guess what? A person will still go to hell. Because that's not the gospel. The gospel is believing that the members of your congregation that you sit at in the pews each Sunday, that from God's point of view, they are holy, sinless, and righteous in his sight. There's no evidence for that except his promise. I read recently where in the Post-Dispatch, a lady who's Roman Catholic was talking about how the process of becoming a saint is very important. And it was so sad to read that because she didn't realize that all, for example, who are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit receive the promises of baptism, and therefore they are saints. Saints is not something that you got to figure out after somebody has died. Saints is figured out when they are baptized. And this, oh, there's so much more to say just on this grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul goes on. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the what of God? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is important to understand. Grace is not a power source that you use as a fallen human being in order to get saved. Grace refers to God's attitude towards you because of Jesus Christ, that you who are a sinner are declared to be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't deserve that forgiveness. In other words, unlike every other religion where you have to do something to get God's favor, in Christianity, it's already been done. It's the cross of Christ. And it is so sad that there are so many people who reject that message and prefer to pay for their own sins, which they would do in hell. Now, what did the grace of God given to the Corinthians in Christ Jesus, what did it involve? Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. You see, how much knowledge do you need to be saved? Do you need to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he did all those miracles he had done? And the answer to that is no. No. But isn't that what our creed says? Remember, the creeds come about after the entire Bible has been authored by God and written by prophets and apostles. Before that, I don't believe that Adam and Eve 
knew that Jesus Christ would die on the cross. There was no execution by crosses in those days. In fact, the Old Testament believers were not saved because of their knowledge of how Jesus would die, but because of the faith in the promises that through Eve, through Abraham, through David, a Savior would come. He was called the Messiah. And that faith, like Abraham, you're going to have a child, Abraham, you and 65-year-old Sarah, and he, through his seed, will come the Messiah. Now, they were already past childbearing age, but Abraham believed. And the next words are so important, they're even quoted in the New Testament. And Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. What was accounted to him? For what reason? Because of his faith. That's not found in any other religion of the world. Because if the faith doesn't act out in works, nobody is accounted as righteous. In every religion in the world, you merit righteousness. In Christianity, you inherit righteousness. By the way, that was the reading yesterday for the last Sunday of the church year, talking about the sheep and the goats. God said, blessed are you, inherit the kingdom. In fact, I considered it to be one of the most difficult passages in the Bible because upon a superficial reading of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, you can almost get the impression that these sheep are going to heaven because they gave food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, visited people in prison. So I was talking about how I'm not afraid of Judgment Day because of a, as a pastor, I have visited people in prison. I visited my own members occasionally. I visited when Southern Illinois asked me three times to go to a state prison to talk to the prisoners about law and gospel. And then one other time in Dallas, I was invited to a federal prison and spoke with prisoners for about two hours on the distinctions between law and gospel. So I'm safe. God asked me, did I go to prison? Oh, yeah, I did. Until you realize that even atheists and unbelievers visit people in prison. So why are they not saved? Because giving food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, and visiting in prison and those other items are not the cause of salvation. Because God just doesn't look at the deed and indicate, well, that's a good work, you're saved. He looks instead at the motivation. Every unbeliever, when he does the so-called good deeds of drink to the thirsty and food to the hungry, he does it out of self-interest. Because there's only two kinds of motivation that God recognizes. 
Either you do it out of self-interest or you do it out of Christ's interest. And only Christians who have the Holy Spirit can ever have the proper motivation in doing a good work. In fact, we make a mistake to call what Christians do good works. Well, from an outward point of view, they seem to be, but they're really fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's the evidence God uses to show that someone is a Christian because only a Christian can do the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Now that confirmation would have been both by their confession that Jesus is the Christ and also by their good works that really were fruit of the Holy Spirit to a great degree. Now, we we need to remember that every time a Christian does a good work, the old Adam never has proper motivation. But the new man never has improper motivation. So people come to church on Sunday. The new man does that because they love to hear about Jesus. The old man does it because, well, maybe I'll be more blessed during the week if I attend church. That's a sinful motivation to go to church because you're already totally blessed since all that a blessing is is God keeping his promise. And that's why Paul can say to these Corinthians, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ can refer to his coming. He was revealed in the Bethlehem stable. He was revealed when he went into Jerusalem on the donkey. He was revealed when he came into your heart by power of the Holy Spirit and you were given faith. And he will be revealed on that last day of judgment when he will come as judge. But during this time, there's no gift that God considers you to have that is necessary that you will be lacking. No. Every gift that's necessary for salvation you will receive. And you see, it's just not necessary that you have a wonderful life, that you have a big house and a nice car and a great family. No. Many Christians throughout the world, especially outside the United States, are suffering and being persecuted for the faith. But God promises, even with them, that they will not be lacking in any necessary gift. Because, verse 8, God who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That, that probably is an important word for you to be guiltless. That would be a great start to a sermon. How many of you feel that you are guiltless? Because as soon as we hear the word guilt... 
the old Adam makes us think about our works, our sinful works, and we are not guiltless. Oh, really? But that guiltless comes about because God forgives your sin that you have committed. But what about all those good works that you have omitted? He dresses you in the robe of righteousness. And that's where I received it in the waters of baptism. You receive both the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not abide within a body that is not guiltless. But our guiltlessness doesn't come from our works, but from the works of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's a tremendous message that I would say not only unbelievers do not understand, but I believe a lot of Christians cannot enunciate it that clearly. See, that's the task of sermons, is to bring down from the lofty heaven the word of God to the earth. So one of the best compliments a pastor can receive is when somebody says, you know, you clearly helped us to understand what this was saying. And that's why I appreciate your sermons, because they're very clear. In other words, we sometimes need to move from the arches of the seminary down to the pews of the congregation. And that is done by explaining. Now, the way I do it is I like using analogies with which they are familiar uh, for for example, when somebody says, well, we cannot baptize a baby. It doesn't know what's going on. It can't make a choice. I then say to that person, oh, so you're against adoptions. No, I'm not against adoptions. Well, you just said you were because what baby makes a choice as to who their parents are going to be? They don't make any choice. It's forced upon them. So you're saying that's a terrible thing to do. No. Well, then they begin to understand, hopefully, that just as human parents can adopt the child without it making a decision, he or she, so also God can adopt you into his family without you either contributing to that adoption or cooperating with that adoption. That's why God loves you. And that's why the text for the epistle ends with this verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You could just replace the word called with the word adopted. But notice the premise, the foundation, because God is faithful. What does that mean? What does it mean when someone is 
faithful to you. It means that when you hear a promise, you know that person is going to fulfill that promise. Therefore, it's pretty simple what preaching is about. The law are the demands that God makes upon every human being that by their own power they would need to obey in order to get to heaven. But guess what? It is impossible for them to obey perfectly. So God comes in and he does for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. He, when he was on earth, when he came, perfectly obeyed every commandment of God. And therefore, a glorious exchange took place. When we came to faith, we gave to Jesus all of our sins, and he gave to us his righteousness. That's why you're going to heaven. Because from God the Father's point of view, the Son did all the work for you. And that's what the gospel is, the for you part. Until that promise is heard, then how can you tell that God is faithful? But once the promise is heard, remember what Romans 10 says? And faith comes by hearing the word of God. That's why Christians love to attend worship. If it's a proper worship service, they will go home with joy in their hearts. I'm Tom Baker. You've been listening to Law and Gospel on this November the 27th in the year of our Lord, 2017. And we will continue with our usual week, which means Rumination Tuesday is going to be about a hymn with Pastor Mark Smith joining us. And the name of the hymn is Savior of the Nations Come. There's that word come again for Advent. Till tomorrow, God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday at this time on Worldwide KFUO. For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law and Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.